0: Due to the graphic nature of this story, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of violence against animals, mutilation, and murder. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
1: Once upon a time, the most famous detective in all of England had a new case. He wasn't Sherlock Holmes, but people said he came pretty close. His name was Robert Fabian, and in 1945, he visited a small village in Warwickshire, England, to solve the vicious murder of a farmhand.
0: After a few days of investigation, the detective and the local superintendent climbed the sloped fields, braving the frigid winter wind. Finally, they reached the top of 637-foot Meon Hill. They looked down at the view below
1: just farmland and crops as far as the eye could see. Then, the two men turned their attention to Mion itself. It had bare stone walls to partition the fields. As they looked on, a dog ran down the hill. A black dog.
0: Fabian thought it was an ordinary farm animal, but a few minutes later, a young boy passed by. When the detective asked if the loose dog belonged to him, the boy seemed confused. He asked, dog, mister? And then, when Detective Fabian described the black dog they'd seen, the boy became spooked. That's when the police officers realized no one else had seen it. As the superintendent explained, the boy thought the detective had just laid eyes on a ghost.
1: The phantom canine sighting felt like something out of a fairy tale or folklore. But for Detective Fabian... It was more than that. It was a major clue he couldn't ignore.
0: Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy.
1: And I'm Molly Brandenburg.
0: And neither of us are conspiracy theorists.
1: But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify.
0: This is our second episode on the murder of Charles Walton, a 74-year-old English farmhand who was brutally killed on Valentine's Day 1945.
1: Last time, we explored Walton's early years and his eccentric adult life, which became entwined with Warwickshire County's folklore. His supposed involvement in witchcraft may have marked him for death.
0: Today, we'll investigate three conspiracy theories about Walton's homicide. First, That Walton was killed because he was a warlock. Second, that he was the victim of an ancient ritual featuring human sacrifice. And finally, that he was killed by someone he knew. Someone he may have even considered a friend.
1: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with
2: us. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up is never a good idea. It can have some terrible consequences. I mean, think about the subject matter we cover on our show. I wonder how much easier it would be if we normalized talking about negative feelings instead of lashing out when it all builds up. I recently had a session where I faced some things going on in my life I hadn't spoken to anyone about, and when I talked about it with my therapist, I realized how heavy it actually was, and I was able to see it in a different light, and it didn't feel as heavy anymore. When you need to talk, but you want a safe space for that conversation, I highly recommend BetterHelp. Even if you haven't experienced major trauma in your life, therapy is excellent for day-to-day positive coping skills and learning how to set boundaries. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Serial Killers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Serial Killers.
0: This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true.
1: I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From
0: 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. On Valentine's Day, 1945... England's Warwickshire County wasn't filled with love and romance, but death.
1: Someone brutally murdered 74-year-old farmhand Charles Walton with a pitchfork and pruning blade. It was so gruesome, Scotland Yard's chief inspector, Robert Honey Fabian, traveled to the small village a few days later.
0: Fabian was often compared to Sherlock Holmes, so he had a sterling reputation to live up to, and the pressure was on. He found Walton's case notable enough to later write about it in his memoir, Fabian of the Yard, and we'll be leaning on that book, as well as journalist Simon Reed's The Case That Foiled Fabian to talk about the theories that came up during
1: the investigation. Fabian and his colleagues left no stone unturned in the particularly gruesome homicide. They examined the murder weapons, but there were no fingerprints on them.
0: When they searched the body, they realized Walton's metal pocket watch was missing. On first glance, they thought it might have been a robbery. But who would kill to steal a simple watch, especially in a small town where everyone knows each other? The thievery theory just
1: didn't add up. Next, Fabian and his colleagues studied all the footprints in the field, none of which yielded anything conclusive. Fabian
0: even got the Royal Air Force to fly a reconnaissance plane and take photos of the crime scene. The images were so detailed, they could see Walton's blood on the grass and branches, but they didn't yield any new or
1: illuminating information. So, Fabian and his colleagues pledged to interview all 493 people in the tiny town. And through those discussions, several possibilities about Walton's killing emerged, including a supernatural one.
0: that brings us to conspiracy theory number one. Walton was a witch. As we explored last time, many Warwickshire County villagers believe some townspeople dabbled in the occult. Several of Walton's neighbors thought the old farmhand was one of them.
1: Fabian likely heard the stories about Walton, the rumors about him being haunted by a big black demon dog in his youth, his supposed control over birds, and the weird account about how Walton used a toad to hex the area's crops. There was no shortage of gossip to sift through, plus the official statements.
0: On February 20th, the Warwickshire County coroner, George Frederick Lauder, held an inquest at the town hall It was kind of like a preliminary investigation into Walton's death.
1: There, pathologist James M. Webster testified, Walton died of shock and severe blood loss from the pitchfork and hedge knife injuries. The 74-year-old farmhand also had scratches on the back of his hands, indicating he may have tried to defend himself.
0: Of course, in a county like Warwickshire, word soon spread that Walton also had a carving in his chest It was in the shape of a cross.
1: While notable outlets like BBC even referenced the cross-shaped cut in their 1971 documentary, The Power of the Witch, it's important to note the official autopsy report didn't indicate any injury of the kind. Either way, the speculation didn't end there. The Warwickshire County Constabulary Superintendent gave Fabian a book early in the investigation. He marked one specific page for Fabian.
0: It was about a local occult-related murder in the late 1800s when farmer John Haywood killed supposed witch and Tennant. As we mentioned last time, Haywood stabbed Tennant to death with a pitchfork because he thought she hexed him with the evil eye, a kind of curse. But it wasn't clear why the official flagged this page seemed he was trying to indirectly send a message to Fabian that he needed to look into witchcraft in Walton's case.
1: Now, Fabian didn't believe in magic, but he was well aware that many people did. Still, he didn't initially think it was a motive in Charles Walton's murder.
0: But after a few days in Warwickshire, Fabian realized he'd need to be more open-minded about the paranormal especially one particularly overcast afternoon when he and constabulary superintendent spotted the black dog on Meon Hill.
1: When a boy passed, Fabian asked him if the canine belonged to him, but the young man replied, dog, mister?
0: When Fabian confirmed he was asking about the black dog, the child appeared pale and spooked before walking off. Probably quick to sense Fabian's confusion at the boy's reaction, the constabulary superintendent standing beside him reminded Fabian black dogs are an omen of death. The chief inspector disagreed, it was just a dog, and so
1: he moved on with his day. That afternoon, a police patrol car struck an actual black dog. Fabian likely shrugged it off as a coincidence.
0: But the next day on Meon Hill, some farmers found a cow dead in a ditch. This may have signaled that Fabian and his colleagues had evil following them. Because later that night, Fabian and his assistant, Albert Webb, went to a local pub. As soon as they walked in, the establishment fell silent.
1: Worst of all, it's been said that just a few days later, someone else found a dead black dog's body hanging by its collar on a hedge, right near where Walton died.
0: That gruesome discovery was the last straw for the townspeople. They likely concluded the dog wasn't just a dog, it was an omen about Fabian and the Metropolitan Police. So going forward, the villagers wanted nothing to do with
1: them. Fabian went house to house to question witnesses, but some people slammed the door in his face, if they answered at all. Those who were willing to talk, told him about 1944's bad crop year and the dead cow in the ditch. But each person refused to tell him what it had to do with Walton's murder.
0: As much as Warwickshire County loved folk tales and spreading rumors, none of the villagers wanted to tell Fabian what was going on.
1: By March, 1945, Fabian and his colleagues had run out of avenues for investigation. They tried to interview all 493 villagers But so many people refused to talk, and every lead hit dead ends, including the witchcraft one."
0: All Fabian could do was drop hints in the official case report. According to Reed, Fabian slyly referred to witchcraft as, quote, "...some local history attached to the murdered man."
1: In the end, his reports were inconclusive, and the case of who murdered Charles Walton went cold. Fabian couldn't even figure out a possible motive. The man people compared to Sherlock Holmes had failed for the first time in his illustrious career.
0: It was likely a hard pill to swallow, but Fabian accepted this was one mystery he wouldn't crack. He moved on. A few years later, in 1949, he retired from Scotland Yard, and the former police chief wrote books.
1: In his 1950 memoir, Fabian of the Yard, he seemed to be more transparent about Walton's case than he was in the official files. The former chief inspector wrote, quote, maybe somebody in that tranquil village off the main road knows who killed Charles Walton. Maybe one day somebody will talk? Not to me, a stranger from London.
0: I think there is still a lot left unsaid by both the villagers and Fabian. That's why I think there could be some truth to conspiracy theory number one, that Walton was a witch. Whether or not you believe magic is real, he could have dabbled in the occult and that might have spurred someone to kill him. Workshire County has its darkly magical reputation for a reason. Even if there's no solid evidence, there's often some truth to rumors.
1: I don't really buy it. Fabian didn't find hard evidence or witnesses to support the theory that Walton was a witch. Only rumors spread by townspeople who didn't want to go on the record. I think this theory is just that, local gossip that spiraled out of control.
0: And this wasn't the only theory about Walton's murder that circulated. A few years after Fabian's book, a world-renowned historian and folklorist chimed in with evidence of her own. And it even made Fabian change his tune.
1: Up next, Charles Walton may have been a human sacrifice. In 1950,
0: retired Scotland Yard detective Robert Fabian published his memoir. He hinted that Charles Walton's murder had something to do with witchcraft, or at least the townsfolk believed it did, but he couldn't produce any proof.
1: Later that year, world-famous historian Margaret Murray came forward with a theory of her own. The Englishwoman was a groundbreaking scholar, noted for being the University of Central London's first female archaeology lecturer.
0: She primarily studied Egyptology, but Murray also wrote a series of books that provided the foundation for the Wiccan religion. Weiss called her the mother of witches that never was. So Murray likely understood Warwickshire's witchcraft rumors better than anyone. This may be why the local police brought her in to consult on the case.
1: But she didn't think Walton was a witch. In an article by the Birmingham Gazette, Murray was quoted saying she believed another type of folk belief was involved.
0: And that brings us to conspiracy theory number two. Charles Walton was killed in a ritual sacrifice.
1: As we discussed last time, Walton's throat was slit with a pruning knife and a pitchfork pinned him down, stabbing him through the neck and face.
0: And this was important for Murray. She told the Birmingham Gazette in 1950, there was only one plausible motive for wounds like that. Walton's death was a sacrifice.
1: Her theory was also based on the date Walton was murdered, February 14th, 1945. In England, it was St. Valentine's Day, celebrated with candy hearts and boxes of chocolates. But Murray observed that in pre-Christian cultures, February was considered the month for sacrifices.
0: In the interview, she declined to elaborate any further about how Walton's injuries related to pre-Christian traditions. Instead, Murray said, quote, I am not interested in the murder, only the witches.
1: However, other publications built upon her reasoning. According to a local newspaper, the Stratford Herald, Valentine's Day coincided with another, much darker holiday, the Roman feast of Lupercalia.
0: According to Time magazine, the Lupercalia began with several animal sacrifices. First, the ancients killed goats in a ritual slaughter to gain fertility. Then they immolated a dog to ensure good crops in the spring, which might have been appealing to the folks of Warwickshire, since their harvest was doing poorly at the time
1: february 1945 was also when locals allegedly found the strangled dog on Meon hill the herald speculated the dead canine may have been part of the lupercalia
0: and murray thought there was another reason walton's death might be connected to the ancient roman holiday just two miles away in another warwickshire village Italian prisoners of war were housed at a local camp, the Long Marston Garrison.
1: In early 1945, World War II was coming to an end, but some Italian POWs remained in England. According to the Imperial War Museum, they volunteered to work and became farmhands during a labor shortage. Following Italy's surrender and the end of hostilities, The POWs and the Warwickshire townspeople coexisted peacefully for the most part.
0: Murray seemed to theorize these POWs still practiced ancient Roman rites. But her theory had a lot of flaws. There was no proof the Italian POWs held these beliefs. In fact, 97% of Italians identified as Roman Catholic, a religion that didn't celebrate the Lupercalia festival.
1: And while Long Marston was home to 1,043 POWs, not all of them were Italian. In his memoir, Fabian observed that there were also Germans, Ukrainians, and Slavic men staying there.
0: But Murray's reasoning did line up with a lead the police looked into early in their investigation. Uh, Let's turn the calendar back to the night of February 14th, 1945, when Walton's body was found.
1: Constable Michael Lomasny helped his fellow officers remove Walton's remains from Furze Farm. It was dark and bitterly cold, so the area couldn't be thoroughly searched until the next morning. For the rest of the night, Lomasny and his colleagues took turns standing guard over the crime scene.
0: Around 5 a.m., Constable John West took over the watch. It was quiet. All he heard was branches rustling in the brisk wind the sun started to rise.
1: Two hours later, a little after 7 a.m., West saw a man walking along a hedge. Eventually, he approached West, wanting to look at the crime scene, but West told him no. Instead, they made casual conversation about the weather.
0: Soon, West realized this wasn't some nosy onlooker. It was Alfred John Potter, the
1: owner of Fur's Farm, where Walton worked. Potter stared at the bloodied spot where Walton had died, then looked out at the vast field. He may have glanced in the direction of the Long Marston garrison camp, where the Italian POWs were, and he said, quote, These blasted Italians are poaching all over the place, and it might be one of them. It's
0: unclear if Potter's words made police list the Italian POWs as suspects, or if he merely accused them because they were outsiders. But a few days later, Scotland Yard's chief inspector, Robert Fabian, arrived and investigated the lead. When he and his assistant questioned the villagers, some said they saw Italian POWs walking around Furze Farm the day Walton died. One claimed he saw a man crouched down in a ditch, wiping bright red blood off his hands.
1: Of course, Fabian wanted to find this man right away, but he had a problem, the language barrier. The POWs didn't speak English, and as we mentioned before, some weren't even Italian. They could only converse in German, Ukrainian, or other languages. So Fabian summoned a Scotland Yard colleague, Detective Sergeant David Saunders, who was a polyglot.
0: On February 16th, Saunders presumably tracked down the Italian POW in question. When they searched his belongings, they found the man also had blood on his coat.
1: Fabian rushed the evidence to the nearest lab, along with a sample of Walton's blood, to see if the specimens matched. But the test revealed the POW's clothing was covered in rabbit's blood.
0: So Saunders went back to the drawing board. He searched over 1,000 other POWs' residences and learned the camp security system was pretty lacking. The inmates didn't have to check in or out with anyone, so there wasn't any written record of who was around and when. Fabian could only rely on the statements from 68 POWs and the prison guards.
1: One day Saunders had the prisoners stand in a lineup, but the townspeople didn't recognize any of them. According to Reed's book, all of the POWs were cooperative and answered Saunders' questions, but it seems nothing conclusive came from it.
0: In March 1945, Fabian wrote a report on Saunders' investigation, coming to the following conclusion. I have been unable to establish that any of these Italians have ever resorted to violence during their stay at Long Marston, and cannot find one authentic case of any of them even being discourteous to local villagers.
1: Which meant the POW theory seemed totally baseless, but it didn't stop Murray from investigating five years later. According to journalist Donald McCormick, in 1950, she traveled to Warwickshire to consult on the case.
0: Unlike the police, she wasn't forthright about who she was and why she was there. Instead, Murray told villagers she was an artist and pretended to be
1: merely curious about Walton's murder. The townspeople told Murray they believed in witchcraft, but she couldn't get them to say much more or to reveal anything else about Walton's murder. According to McCormick, they were too scared to talk to Murray.
0: In spite of her lack of hard findings, nearly 20 years later, Murray's theory seemed to gain a very important supporter, Robert Fabian. In 1970, he published his third and final book, The Anatomy of a Crime. In it, the 70-year-old retired detective wrote Walton's murder was, quote, "...clearly the ghastly climax of a pagan
1: rite." Reed's book, however, speculated he may have embraced the witchcraft theory for another reason. The author claimed Fabian knew the supernatural aspect of Walton's case fascinated the public and mentioning it could help sell books.
0: That's true. Still, I believe conspiracy theory number two could also be true especially because this one came from Murray, an esteemed historian and expert in witchcraft, and the timing she mentioned pretty much lined up with Walton's killing.
1: I don't know. I still don't buy it. Murray's reasoning contains faulty logic. She stereotyped Italians based on their nationality. Likewise, Warwickshire residents could have scapegoated the community outsiders, giving in to any lingering anti-Italian sentiment after World War II. And folklore isn't proof. It's just stories. At the end of the day, Murray doesn't have any actual evidence. Her argument is merely circumstantial.
0: Okay, Molly, you got me there, I get that. But what if I told you there was one last theory, which has nothing to do with witchcraft. Perhaps Charles Walton was killed by a suspect we've already met in this episode.
1: Up next, Charles Walton's allegedly tense relationship with Alfred John Potter.
0: This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. We examine the possibility that Charles Walton was murdered for occult reasons. Both our previous theories, that he was a witch or that he was a sacrifice, were based in folklore and witchcraft.
1: This next idea doesn't involve magic at all, but it does feature someone you've already met. He presumably knew Walton very well, given he worked alongside him almost every single day.
0: Which brings us to conspiracy theory number three. Charles Walton was killed by his boss, Alfred John Potter. He was present through the entire investigation. Potter found Walton's dead body on his farm, and he told the police he was probably killed by Italian poachers.
1: Sure enough, the police looked into Potter as a suspect. Their suspicions likely began on February 18, 1945.
0: According to Reed's book, while Fabian and his crew were arriving and settling down in town, Constable Michael Lamasny continued patrolling the village. One morning, Lamasny decided to drop by Fur's Farm, which was owned by the Potters. It was also where Walton was murdered.
1: The exact reason for Lamasny's unannounced visit isn't clear. Perhaps he wanted to see how the family was doing.
0: Around 9.30 a.m., Lamasny knocked on the door. Potter's wife Lillian answered. Her eyes were red and swollen, as if she'd
1: been crying a lot. Lamasny likely figured she was still torn up about Walton, so it seems he didn't think too much of it. When she invited him inside for the great English tradition of tea, the constable accepted, of course.
0: Lamassney sat at the kitchen table while Lillian fumbled around with the teapot he made small talk asking how she was doing
1: the inquiry stopped lillian right in her tracks and she started sobbing she cried so hard she couldn't even get any words out
0: he guided her to a chair and sat with her at the table trying to calm her down within a few minutes lillian was finally able to talk
1: she told Lomasny she was concerned about what the villagers would think Lillian feared the town would blame her husband for Walton's death.
0: And then, between sobs, she dropped a bombshell revelation. According to Reed's book, Lillian said something like, we cannot account for where my husband was every bit of the day, meaning Potter didn't have an alibi.
1: Now, as a farmer, he most likely worked alone most of the time, so the lack of alibi wasn't damning on its own but Lillian didn't seem to care what the police thought. She was more concerned about how the townspeople would judge him. She knew once word got out, the rumors would spread around Warwickshire like wildfire.
0: Lamasney tried to soothe her, but she continued to cry. Uncomfortable, the officer finally left the house. While he walked to his patrol car, Lemastny ran into Potter in
1: the yard. He remarked that Lillian was concerned for him. Maybe Potter had shared too many gruesome details with her.
0: Potter just averted his eyes and didn't say a word. Lomassney thought he was on the verge of crying too.
1: Realizing this wasn't a good time for any of the Potters to talk, Lomassney
0: left. Two days later, on February 20th, the Warwickshire County Coroner, George Frederick Lauder held his inquest at the town hall, as we mentioned earlier.
1: Reed's book says later that day, Lamastny returned to the first farm to check on the Potters again. Around 6 p.m., he knocked on their door. This time, Alfred Potter answered and he was very upset, but still invited the officer inside.
0: The farmer was angry Lauder hadn't invited him to the inquest. Potter said he couldn't believe they didn't want him to provide more evidence. He was acting like the cool kids didn't ask him to a big party. But this was a murder investigation, not a social get-together.
1: Lemesny tried to tell the farmer that Lauder and the police already had what they needed, but Potter continued ranting. It was very strange, to say the least.
0: Then, Potter kept saying he needed to save face in front of the townspeople. He feared Walton's murder would put him out of business. Then he repeated his claim that the Italian POWs must have killed Walton.
1: Lomasny promised Potter he and Fabian were already looking into that possibility and several others. They were also checking whether the killer left fingerprints on the murder weapons.
0: And that launched Potter into his final bit of strange behavior. He appeared uneasy and suddenly told Lamasny he only touched the hedge fork when he found Walton's body. Apparently, he wanted to see if Walton was still alive. He insisted the police already knew that. Then uh, apparently Lillian walked into the room and yelled something like, they will have your fingerprints now to blame you for it, you fool.
1: Once again, Lamasny left the potter's home questioning everything that had just happened. He didn't recall anyone else saying Potter had touched the hedgefork. He even looked through the initial statements from when Walton's body was found. There was no record of Potter saying anything about it. It seems
0: Lamasny had caught the farmer in a fib, as if Potter was very eager to explain how his fingerprints could end up on the murder weapon but only once he knew the police were searching for prints. And it was only the first of Potter's apparent lies. Reed's book pointed out another.
1: As we mentioned last time, Potter testified he saw Walton alive and working at 12.20 p.m. while the farmer tended to a dying cow. He said this in an early February statement to Robert Fabian, but changed his tune a few days later. On February 23rd, Potter told Fabian he didn't tend to the injured cow until 3 p.m.
0: Fabian was flabbergasted, but didn't quite understand why Potter would misrepresent the timeline. According to Reed, Fabian wrote in his report, Potter is undoubtedly lying about his actions at this critical time, but the reason for these lies can, for the present, only be a matter of conjecture.
1: Meaning, sure, Potter may have been hiding something, but Fabian couldn't jump to conclusions. And besides, we don't even know if he changed the story on purpose. He could have been confused or misremembered.
0: That brought Fabian back to the biggest question he had about Walton's murder. The motive. Why would anyone kill this 74-year-old man? And if it was Potter... Why would the boss stab his employee in such a gruesome manner?
1: Based on Fabian's interviews with the townsfolk, he pieced together that the motive was probably a financial one. Later, theories suggested that due to the 1944 crops not doing so well, farmers like Potter were probably short on funds. So people have theorized that perhaps... Potter asked for a loan, and Walton let his boss borrow an unknown amount of cash.
0: Potter was grateful and promised he'd repay the money back by a certain date. We don't know when the deadline was, but it seems it came and went, and no money exchanged hands. Apparently, Walton wasn't happy.
1: Supposedly, Walton confronted Potter, who claimed he'd settle up soon, but he never did. Walton realized his own boss might be trying to get one over on him. Walton became mad, and Potter was scared.
0: Because, as we discussed last time, there were rumors that Walton was a witch who hexed the local crops. Rather than risk a black magic curse, apparently Potter took matters into his own hands and killed Walton.
1: As compelling as that story was, it was just that, a story. Fabian needed evidence and a witness, so he asked the villagers. Some claimed Walton's niece, Edith, could corroborate the story about the loan. But when Fabian asked her, she didn't know anything about it.
0: According to Reed's book, Fabian also examined Walton's financial records and didn't find any mention of the loan. In fact, Walton didn't have much cash at all, maybe not even enough to lend out.
1: So there was no paper trail to verify the loan story or to give Potter a motive to kill Walton. But still, Fabian couldn't let go of his gut instinct, especially after Potter contradicted himself during questioning. Fabian's final report concluded, quote, there is suspicion against the farmer Potter, chiefly because of discrepancies in his statements.
0: But suspicion alone isn't enough to make an arrest.
1: That means conspiracy theory number three, that Walton was killed by his boss, lacks any solid proof. As realistic as this one may seem, it was just more Warwickshire gossip.
0: I don't know, Molly. I think this is the most valid theory of all. It's the only one that doesn't hinge on witchcraft and seems, for the most part, completely plausible. Imagine if your boss asked for a loan and never paid it back. I'd be pretty peeved.
1: But murder is an extreme reaction to that situation. And even a skilled detective like Robert Fabian couldn't uncover evidence that it actually happened.
0: You have to admit, though, as compelling as all the witchcraft theories are, this one is the most likely. Maybe Walton forgot to pencil in Potter's IOU in his ledger.
1: Sure, that's way more plausible than witch hunters killing him, or a POW coven using him as a human sacrifice. Still, all three theories have the same core problem. None of them have any evidence, so it's hard to draw a definitive conclusion here.
0: Because of that, Walton's murder is still unsolved as of this recording. For decades, English people and true crime enthusiasts have weaved their own speculation and theories about what happened to Walton. And many of them include witchcraft and the tall tales from Warwickshire's folklore.
1: But sadly, it seems the only story missing from it all is the truth.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back next time with a new episode. For more information on Charles Walton, out of the many sources we used, we found Simon Reed's The Case That Foiled Fabian, Murder and Witchcraft in Rural England, and Robert Fabian's Fabian of the Yard extremely helpful to our research.
1: You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify.
0: Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story.
1: And the official story isn't always the truth.
0: Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive produced by Max Cutler. Our head of programming is Julian Boireau. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our head of production, and quality control by Lisa Marie Gallegos. Ryan O'Leary-Jones is our supervising editor, and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Mallory Cara, edited by Angela Jorgensen, fact-checked by Cheyenne Lopez, researched by Sapphire Williams, recorded by Alex Button, produced by Bruce Katovich, with sound design by Carrie Murphy. Our hosts are Molly Brandenburg and me, Carter Roy.